but man i'm telling you being alone it, you can think some crazy things um i'll be the first to say it yeah i thought some insane things but when you hear a man talk about mental health at the age of 13 and 12 and you don't even know what that is and he's so confident um it hits you and it really saved my life it took me from the darkest moments of my life and brought me forward The idea is to to have a very authentic conversation about you, mm. you know, find out who you are. Because people see the surface, they see mm. Boslin, they don't know who the person is, they don't know who Corbin is, mm -hmm. and yeah, for real. a lot of times they just see the surface level. They see the success that we show them mm -hmm. on our social media because that's what gets us the likes and the follows and the shares and all yeah. that stuff. But in reality, behind it is blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, broken relationships. All of these things, everything, yeah, right, that people don't really fully comprehend goes into the making of an album, mm -hmm. a song, a career, a person, a persona. Mm -hmm. So, Boslin, welcome Boslin. to the Gents Talk podcast. <laughs> Woo! Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for Thank coming. You for on, coming. Of so, course. we first uh, chatted on the red carpet at the Juno Awards. Yes, you were looking mean, mean, clean. <laughs> that suit, man. Oh my God. It was so jiggy. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you very much. I was wearing an ascot that day and I wasn't sure if I was going <laughs> to wear it. And this guy was like, you got to rock it. He looked nice, man. Clean, he looked nice. But you looked. You look dapper Thank in you all much. white. Yes, with the gloves. Yeah, with the, the gloves, gloves, I think, were the nice touch to Yeah, it. I had yeah. to, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. What was the inspo behind that? That was actually, I was referencing, I think it was like 1920s waiter. Okay. So um, I just saw the tapered fit. I saw the cut jacket. I saw the white gloves. Um, and it just inspired me. It was just something that was just so classy. And it wasn't like, I didn't overthink it. I just did it. So. Well, I actually want to ask you, now that that's happened, mm. And there may not be here, but was there any connection between you deciding to go with an outfit of that of a profession that's serving versus looking, you know, wearing like a power suit, for example? That's a good question. Um, I think there's a subconscious connection there. I just saw it as every time I, I think this is a weird way to look at it, but uh, my dad once told me the best way you can judge a man's character is the way they treat a waiter mm -hmm. or you know, because they don't owe that person anything. That mm -hmm. person doesn't owe them anything. And it's just so raw. And in those little milliseconds, you can really tell a lot by somebody of just how they treat somebody that they don't know. And um, maybe that's a connection there if you want to get real deep, but I just thought it looked clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate you coming yeah. through and, and uh, having this conversation with us. Of course. Because of course. you do a lot of cool stuff. You're from Chilliwack. Yes, in sir. Yeah. Um, you have an indigenous background. I do. And I'm really excited because we've been really wanting to have a conversation with uh, a person from the indigenous community mm. because I don't think there's enough voices in that space. So that's mm. something that I'm hoping that we can get For a chance sure. to talk about. But you're a music artist, Juno nominated. Thank you. And your career is only going to grow from here. Appreciate that. But who's who's Corbin? Corbin. Corbin is me. I am Corbin Nick Bowen. Um, that is a kid, and that is a name that I don't really hear often, so thank you for calling me that. <laughs> it's it's weird, man. I think the balance between being in the, the public eye all the time and trying to be your own man at this age when you're always developing and have so much influence and so many opinions, um, it's you lose yourself a lot. You lose yourself a lot, and I think I, I struggle with that because I know what grounds me. I know it's my family, and I know it's my morals of being around my nieces and um, my nephews and you know being the youngest in my family and getting beat up and stuff so <laughs> that's that's who Corbin is you know a light-hearted kid that just is filled with joy I think and I think I, uh, it's weird because sometimes as artists you have to protect that you have to s that's why a lot of artists don't show their kids to the world because they mm -hmm. want to protect that soul that innocence um, that sometimes gets stripped away from you do you think you're doing a good job protecting it I think I'm doing my best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm doing my best, man. I think um, I put a lot of pressure on myself because um, of where I'm from. 
I don't see uh, what I want to be. I think I was also one of the only black kids growing up where I'm from. So hearing the N-word in the hallways was like normal. Hearing Jigaboo was normal. Like, that was like my nickname. And that as a kid, you don't think that's a racist thing. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's just me. And then when you grow into a man, you start to realize, okay, that self-deprecating humor, the the mentality of when you look in the mirror and you see that, it's it affects you. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Protecting Corbin is something I do at all costs. And I think my mom, my girlfriend, my team, they do a, they do a good job helping me. Who gets to see Corbin? Uh... I think the people in the studio, I think the people in the studio get to see Corbin. I think um, you'll rarely see him on the stage. That's my ego. Um, and that's Boslin. That's Boslin. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's a monster. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think my family gets to see Corbin. When I'm home and my mom tells me the first thing to do is clean the dishes and take out the trash, that's Corbin. And I love Corbin. When I'm out skateboarding or just running around, man, just playing ball with my friends in Chilliwack, like, that's that's who I want to be. And I think that's what really I've been focusing on, trying to make my music sound like. Mm. Because if I can do that, then there's there shouldn't be a barrier. You know, there shouldn't be me just pretending to be this person anymore. And I feel like that's something I really want to make a goal this year. Merge or, the two. Yeah, merge yeah. the two. Do you think yeah. that your fans will appreciate that? or criticize that because i think a lot of artists tend to shy away from it because mm -hmm. they've built this persona mm -hmm. and there's there's risk in, yeah, in there moving is. away from that there is i i think i've actually it's funny i think i've tried to face that risk recently with when i started my career um it's not even people's fault. It's what it's what I do. I'm a hypocrite for it as well. But when you hear an upcoming artist, you subconsciously think, oh, they sound like this person, mm -hmm. like immediately. Um, and mine was Travis Scott. Yeah. And this is something I'm so happy I'm talking about because this used to be a huge insecurity of mine because I was signed to a label. Um, and to speak transparently, we didn't know what to do. Song blows up, like blows up on mm -hmm. TikTok. And all it is is like, yes, like numbers going up, everything's good, but oh are you just travis scott you just copying travis scott and in my head i'm like bro i'm corbin like how mm -hmm. is this possible um so i took it upon myself to really really understand who do i want to be what is my legacy um and i think that took me just going home being around my family and even going to sweden to find that sound to take the risk of going into pop or going into guitar or trying different sounds and talking about you know some very very dark things on these new records that i'm about to show what are the dark things you're talking about? I think it's just self-doubt. Um, self-doubt, parents' divorce. Um, you brought your mom to the red carpet. I did, yeah. Hmm. I think she's one of the most important people in my life. She really keeps me... She she keeps me remembering who I am. <laughs> Do yeah. you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I think... Keeps you humble. Keeps me humble. Even more than that, man, she really seen the worst times of me you know mm -hmm. that we as humans try to hide from the public like oh no like no i've i wear that on my sleeve man like i'm not in any way perfect at all like i've had narcissistic ways i've had controlling ways i've had self-deprecating i've had so many ups and downs of roller coasters but as an artist i feel like Am I allowed to swear or no? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think as an artist, being like, I don't know, kind of fucked up in a way, uh, we we shine light on those artists. We, like, pick them, you know, out of the world, and we just, like, put them on a pedestal, and we're like, wow, look at this, look at this interesting human. Mm -hmm. It's really bizarre that we do that, but I think the best artists are able to just naturally not let it affect them in the public eye, maybe in their hotel room when they're alone, but that's why you got family. Mm -hmm. If we met... Corbin, at the time that your parents got divorced, what would we see? Wow, these are some heavy questions. Um, uh, you would see a man that's mad. I remember it was my 24th birthday in Toronto. I just sold out a show. I was in my hotel room with my girlfriend, and not only were my parents going through a divorce, but my mom texted me she had a tumor mm -hmm. on my on my birthday. 
And I remember just crying to the floor. My knees dropped because I was like, that's it. Like the one thing that's like pure. Mm-hmm. It's about to be gone. Um, so that day, man, you would really just see like someone that's probably just frustrated because I didn't have my dad around, my birth dad around. So when my stepdad stepped up, he taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to fight through a lot of things that I didn't know what to do because motherly loves, they're trying to protect you, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to keep you whole. So you would probably see somebody that was frustrated. Um, I don't want to go into specifics, but yeah. There was, was I think, uh, as humans, we... When trauma happens, you put it in a dark place. Like, you put it in a cabinet, and you can't really remember it anymore. So, like, I'm even struggling remembering what I was going through. I just remember specifically, that was my first time I checked my dad as a man Mm. and, like, talked to him as a man and, like, checked him. And that was my first time. Your biological dad? My stepdad. Stepdad, okay. And that was my first time checking my mom like that Mm. because they only see me as a kid. I'm the youngest, right? So, like, when you talk like that, is a difference is a difference in the room you just, feel it they just take but they take it as disrespect sometimes sometimes like, yeah it's just like it's i'm not i'm not just because you don't like what i'm saying doesn't necessarily mean i'm disrespecting you exactly and, and it's hard to get that yeah message across because it's first i'm really getting to like speak up and it's like well, yeah. i'm not trying to disrespect you but like i need to say something yeah for real i, I was actually having a conversation with uh, some of my buddies last night um about that and he was telling me how he can't even go to christmas dinners anymore because his dad there was one instance he was telling me that like there was the world cup and uh, in front of the whole family the grandma like disrespected the dad and then he flipped out flipped the table and then he even told his son years later he's like well i was embarrassed Mm. and now they can't even go to christmas dinners anymore but it's crazy how long people will hold on to that resentment just over ego or like embarrassment Mm. it's fascinating Ego is a big thing. Oh, yeah. Ego is a big thing for artists. Yeah. I've been learning about that last night, actually, with, uh, is it Sigmund Freud? Yeah. Yeah. I've been learning about, um, I think it's called ID, Super Ego, and then Ego, how there's like three of them. I don't know if it's ID. Id, Ego, Ego, yeah. yeah. I've been learning about it. It's really interesting. What have you learned? I just learned that like Id is like the devil on your shoulder. The Ego is the middle. The Super Ego is like kind of society's like okay bare minimum of what you should probably be doing um it's like the angel almost and i've learned that we sometimes at least me i use the word ego in a very negative term and it's not necessarily negative it's like something that actually balances everything else Mm -hmm. i think if anything it's your id that that's like you're selfishly oh you should like cheat on this person oh you should do this you should and i think subconsciously we all have those thoughts and we have good thoughts as well, but it's it's your ego that keeps you actually in line, mm-hmm. you know? Interesting. It's really weird. So how does the ego that you have keep you in line? Because we all have one. Yeah. Um, and as an artist who gets a lot of attention from women, from, <laughs> from other artists, from the music industry as a whole, from brands and sponsors, you name it. As someone who gets all this extra attention, yeah. how do you balance your ego? I think that's actually something I've been really good at and I think I can pat myself on the back because I I think it comes from sports if I'm honest. I played rugby my whole life and um, I was a captain, I was a leader of all the teams I was on. Um, And for some reason, it wasn't like, I'm not trying to sound cliche, but it wasn't like the win, it wasn't like the the victory holding the trophy it was always just thinking about the next thing and i think kobe was the only other person that kind of i looked up to that thought like that um so when it comes to like you said the woman or the brands or all of these things well it's i think it's all temporary in the idea if you take the grand scheme of things of uh the job's not finished like i'm not at wembley stadium yet you know not at rogers arena yet you know (laughs) so and even if I was there, job's still not finished because I didn't win three Grammys yet. Yeah. So it's like, that's how I think. Um, that's not what's keeping my ego in line. If it's Truthfully, it's just my girlfriend, my mom, my manager, my best friends. My mom would slap me if I ever stepped out of line. Yeah. So <laughs> that's truthfully, it's checking yeah. my ego. But for me, when I'm in the studio and I'm away from home all the time, it's really just putting on the TV, Queen, Wembley Stadium, and just 
if any opportunity comes, I'm always extremely grateful. But I, I just try to just stay balanced, man. It's it's hard sometimes, though, for sure. I think we can get addicted to that dopamine of uh, people hitting your DMs and people being like, wow, great job. Mm-hmm. We're getting addicted to success. Um, luckily, I'm you caught Corbin in a moment where I'm just addicted to making great music. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good place to be. Yeah, man. It's really nice. It's really nice right now. Why music? That's a good question. I think it saved my life. I think it's because when I was alone in Chilliwack, um, and like I grew up with older siblings, and they all had their artists, Mariana's Trench, Ava Levine, all these crazy artists, and they all had their styles, they all liked their things. And being the youngest, I always try to find my thing. And my thing was, I don't know, I saw a black man for the first time on XXL, and I was like, who's that? I was like, why do they look like me? And then that's when I could finally be like, okay, this is who I am. I feel like as a, the youngest, you try to get the most attention from the parents, and um, that's probably where I gravitated to. So music, I remember rapping at 13 with a Goodwood chain, calling myself Coffee Black. <laughs> my my balls didn't even drop yet. My my voice was so high. Um, that, that was your first. That was your first. That was my first rap name, Coffee Black. <laughs> Coffee Black, man. Yeah. For those in Chilliwack, they know. They know. They know, man. How'd they know. From, how'd you go from Coffee Black to Bosnia? To Bosnia. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't even know how I came up with Coffee Black. <laughs> but Bosnia that came from uh, my mom's last name is Bowen. My stepdad's last name is Gazan. And um, I had two sisters on my dad's side and one sister on my mom's side and a brother on my dad's side. And I was always kind of in the middle. Only black one in my family as well. So they would always be like, Boslin, do this, because it's like Goslin and Boslin. Oh, okay. So it just represents my family. Um, nice. And I just, it was a nickname that my family always would joke around at like, dinners and stuff. So mm-hmm. I just took it as my artist name to just kind of like keep them always with me. Nice. Once again, keep my ego down. <laughs> <laughs> you said that music saved your life. Yeah. Explain. Kid Cudi. I say it in every interview. I say it everywhere. I'm going to say it till I meet the man because he really changed my life. There's been days where, like, um, and I, it's weird, man, because as a young man in social media, it's, like, frowned upon to talk about suicide. It's frowned upon to look upon it like, oh, you're weak or something, or at least where I'm from because I'm around, like, a lot of people that like, drive big trucks and hillbillies and, you know, Tim Horns cups. <laughs> um but man, I'm telling you, being alone, it, you can think some crazy things. Um, I'll be the first to say it. Yeah, I thought some insane things. But when you hear a man talk about mental health at the age of 13 and 12 and you don't even know what that is, and he's so confident, um, it hits you and it really saved my life. It took me from the darkest moments of my life and brought me forward into who I am today. And he talked about not having a dad around. He talked about so many things that I think affected my development in my personality and then now to making music i think some of my closest friends um they struggle with being self-aware they struggle with and i can tell uh and i feel like when you are in a studio atmosphere and you're constantly digging in yourself and just trying to find more things about yourself like man i i watched a movie called a place beyond the pines the other day uh with ryan gosling incredible movie um and uh, it's basically about like how your parents will affect your whole evolution and like the realization of how they're not superheroes anymore. Mm. Um, and at the end of the movie, he bikes off. And the first person I thought about um, was my family and like how much it's affected me and my work ethic and my negatives and positives. So sorry, I'm ranting. But yeah, mm. that's how music kind of saved my life in a nutshell. Is this, which album? Was it a specific Kid Cudi album? It was... Um, Man on the Moon. My first song I heard by him was The Prayer, though. Yeah. The Prayer and then Soundtrack to My Life, and then it kept going. Yeah, that's a great yeah. album. Soundtrack to My Life is an amazing track. Like, Has I he love... made any any recent music? He's supposed to drop his new album, but he pushed it. Um, so I'm excited. It's called Encino, I think. Yeah. It's supposed to drop this month, but he pushed it to January. Being a a black artist from Chilliwack with indigenous roots, mm-hmm. You're fighting an uphill battle right yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, brother. Can you I share love a little it. bit about that? I, it, it fires me up. <laughs> <laughs> so if you turn it into motivation. Oh, yeah. I'm very competitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very competitive. Uh, I think ever since the dawn of 
Boslin or Coffee Black. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I told my mom I used to perform on my couch and say like this is Rogers Arena. Mm-hmm. Like it's funny. A lot of artists. Uh, I was talking to another artist the other day, um, and she was like, "I just want to pay my bills. That's it. I just want to pay my bills. Have a couple of my shows. That's it." And I thought that was so like wholesome and like beautiful. For some reason, I think it's because I played sports my whole life. I was like, "No, I have to be the best." Yeah. Um, so having these things against me, being indigenous, black, coming from Chilliwack, um, and Chilliwack is a beautiful place. I love it. No negative towards Chilliwack, but um, coming from that atmosphere, it really, actually, in the way as a kid, it made me think I stood out more, um, and I used that to my advantage for sure. Have you played at Rogers yet? I haven't yet. Yeah. I had an opportunity to open yeah. for an artist, but I said no. How come? Yeah. I don't want to be on that stage until it's mine. Oh, no, until yeah. the event? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I respect it's that. It's a little thing. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's dope. That's yeah. dope. Yeah, I respect that. It's going to happen, man. I'm oh, so it's excited. Gonna it's going to happen. Excited. It's going to be incredible. Is there, is there room in the music industry for indigenous artists? There is now. <laughs> there, there, there used to not be, I don't think. I think there is now. I think people are curious and... Um, Social media has allowed people to just have opinions come from everywhere. Um, but it's so refreshing to hear opinions come from places that were never, ever able to even talk before. So hearing stories of my culture. Um, and I just did a festival. It's my first headline festival in Vancouver for Circles for Indigenous Youth. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Um, and I shouted out Sonny Nose Res Kids because they're a very prominent group from BC. And the roar of the crowd, mm-hmm. of the pride of them. It's so beautiful, man. Um, so I think finally people are starting to shine some light on that. Is there, what more could be done <coughs> to open the door or pave the way? Because you're carrying some of that responsibility mm. on your shoulder whether you <coughs> want to or not. I think it's really just talking about it in the mainstream. <clears throat> like in culture. Yeah. And like making it quote unquote cool with the kids. Because some people, like I, when I was a kid, I didn't think it was like, around my atmosphere i didn't think it was cool to be black you know Mm. i'm swear to god like i thought it was i was only black kid so when everybody kind of acts weird towards you or even makes jokes you're like okay this feels weird i just want to fit in with friends as a kid you don't know what it is so like making it cool and making it understand to be like yo just be yourself like nobody gives a fuck (laughs) like Mm -hmm. everybody's more insecure about themselves like just being yourself is truly what i really want to like write on my legacy um, and I think it takes more people like myself to speak up and not be afraid to speak up on that. And, um, you know, I head nod to people like Dreezes, people like Sonny Nose Res Kids. There's countless artists that really hold that torch for the youth. Um, and there's I'm, quite a few of them at the Juno Awards. There too. was a lot of them at the yeah. Juno Awards, and I love it. Yeah, it inspires me a lot. Speaking of insecurity, you did an interview, I think maybe a year or two ago, where you talked about how you were in the studio once and you couldn't hit a certain note. Mm. And as a result, you asked everybody to leave. Yeah, yeah. Because you were embarrassed. I was. So that you could work through that. Yeah. And then you said in the interview, and I'm forgive me because I'm not quoting the, the, the place where the interview took place, but mm. you then said that it was embarrassing enough that you never wanted to feel that way again. Mm-hmm. Walk me through that. It was, I think, in 2020. I was in Vancouver at the studio. It was during COVID. And I was living on Hastings at the time. And um, me and my executive producer, named Oz at the time, he was one of my close friends um, at the time, and uh, we invited some friends from Chilliwack that aren't normally in a studio atmosphere. And um, these guys I grew up with, so they've only kind of seen me in a light of, like, rugby mm-hmm. um and at the time i was rapping a lot and a lot of my rap music was building but i wanted to try singing that day and that was my first time pushing my falsetto voice i'm not going to reenact it <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah they were in the studio and i kept pushing kept pushing and my voice kept cracking and it really really hurt myself at the time because up to that point, I thought that being cool or being the rapper that wears the chains and all that was like how I had to be mm-hmm. to protect myself. Um, and then I think in that moment, 
my ego won oh, sorry my insecurity won that day and i told everybody to leave luckily i did hit that note and that song's out it's called forsaken with vori um but yeah that was a really pivotal moment for me what'd you learn from it i learned that uh i learned to not let that little voice in your head win because that little voice in the in my head that day told me no like stop this song like stop record a hip-hop track put trap music on like no don't sing this is not for you don't challenge yourself um and i probably recorded that song for like an hour just that one chorus part um so i think that's what i really learned because i feel like the the best things in life are on the other side of uh fear you know mm-hmm. it's like it's yeah. so true though it's like it's crazy every single time man in life like from the very first time I performed in front of like four people, I remember sweating, like my hands sweating. I was like, what am I going to do, man? There's no stage visuals. <laughs> and then I just went up there and man, I had a blast. Like yeah. it's so that moment really, I would thank you for reminding me of that, by the way. I really appreciate that because that really humbled me. Have you had of a situation after that where you couldn't hit a note again in the studio? All the time. Now what happens? All the time. I'm more comfortable Does now. Does everyone have to leave now? or like No, everybody yeah. can stay. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. let people see that now. Worth it right now. Yeah, I'm really comfortable in the studio now. I remember I couldn't have anybody in the studio. Yeah. Now it's like my girlfriend pulls up, my mom will pull up, my friends. But we don't drink or anything. I don't like the party atmospheres. I just like having people I love there. In the zone. Um, because I know the reaction on their faces when I make something is, oh, it's priceless. <laughs> it's amazing. Why don't you like the party scene? Because I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been in LA. I've seen behind the curtain. I've seen what it does to people. What I've would people see if they they peek behind the curtain? Um, not what's on social media. That's for sure. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, I don't know. There's some things I can't say. No, oh, that's fair. There's yeah. that you would see. You would see a lot of characters. It would almost be like an entourage movie. You'd mm. see like a lot of people playing their part because they think that's the only part they can play or fit in into that atmosphere, mm. like the studio sessions where, um, yeah, it's, it's no one's really being real. Like no one's being like, real. Not music's not getting done. Yeah, it's more of just like braggadocious. Like this is this is uh, I don't know how to explain it, man. It's really weird. But just as much as there's that evil, there's so many beautiful sessions and artists that I met out there. Um, one notable one was Halsey. I met Halsey and she was She's incredible. Incredible, man. Like so human and so real. Um, we were signed to the same label at the time and I I just walked up to her and said I was a fan. We talked for like twenty minutes just about life. Um What was the takeaway from that conversation? Takeaway from that conversation is never let the label change your music. Just make music you want to make. Because there's a reason you got signed to a label is because you made your music. So yeah. as soon as the label starts changing your music well, you lost do you find that there's a lot of that going on where it's it's a challenge for artists to stay the way they are so we had uh, i think it was 12 a.m in the studio mm-hmm. and he talked about how these he had to take a break from music because it was almost as if there was a shift in the industry towards making music for the purposes of platforms like tiktok mm. And if it does well on TikTok, then the rest of the song somehow gets greenlit. The album gets greenlit. But it's all premised by how well people react to your music for on sure. the social platforms. For sure. Are you seeing a lot of that in your space, too? Yeah, for sure. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, for sure. I think I actually got wrapped up in it for a bit, you know. Um, I w- when I was making Gonzo, my last project, I was in L.A. Um, my eardrum was blown. Uh, I was broke, sleeping on an air mattress. And the amount of opinions when you're signed to a very prolific label, I have all respect to them, of course. Like, they did amazing. I'm just saying the pressure built up as a young man. And um, I heard a lot of opinions, and I started swaying this way and swaying this way. And it's so easy to just get caught up in numbers mm. and get caught up in, like, okay, success means this. If you have this amount of pre-saves and it gets this amount of views. And more recently... By listening to albums like uh, Calico by Ryan Beattie, Dominic Fike, um, his uh, Sunburn he just dropped, or going back and like listening to Michael Jackson and just remembering why I make music, I think that's that's what keeps me going because it's so easy for myself to even 
like change my artistic integrity towards only making music that I know will hit. But as soon as you chase hits, I think people are so smart nowadays and they're not going to listen to you anymore. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of artists do that. But I think we have all yet to see where those artists are in five years. Mm. So I'm very curious to see what happens. The pre-save is an interesting thing for me. It's weird, huh? Because, yeah. I mean, you're you're hearing a snippet. It's like watching the trailer to a movie and yeah. saying, you know, like, well, I guess it's then you go and you buy your ticket. Yep. You but pay for, for a pre-save? No, you don't got to pay for it. You just, it's like you kind of say, you just put out a snippet. And um, to pre-save a song, it just automatically adds it to your library. But that helps the artist, though. It helps the artist That's because sure when I the pre-save. song drops, if you have 10,000 pre-saves, then the algorithm's like, oh, it's like 10,000 immediately, like within a second. Okay. And then it'll go to those mm. Spotify playlists because they'll be like... Because if, if you think about it, you're competing with 10,000 songs every Friday. Mm-hmm. It grows probably around 13,000 now. Um, how do you compete? Songs drop on Fridays? Is that yeah. A- that's okay. normally it. Songs normally drop on Fridays. It's normally around 13,000 songs drops on a Friday. How do you compete with that other than having a lot of pre-saves? Because um, it kind of gets you ahead of the line. It's it's something that we battle with, but also it's I'm not in a position to complain. I think it could be way worse, and there's always scenarios where, okay, back in the day I used to have to sell CDs on the corner, mm-hmm. or before that it was MySpace. But there's always something that an artist has to do. So in no way am I, am I complaining. I think it's just um, it just comes with this life. Yeah. yeah. Is there one thing about the way you make music today that bothers you, upsets you? Mm-hmm. You you would swap out like in a heartbeat. You can get rid of it. Like maybe it's the pre-save concept or something about it that you feel stunts your ability to be your full authentic artist. That's such a good question. Something that bothers me that I wish could change. Um, I think numbers bother me. Hmm. I think if we didn't, because nowadays, if an album, like if an A-list artist doesn't sell more than 100,000 copies in the first week, everywhere on Twitter, it's like a flop. Hmm. It's like, it's the bare minimum. If somebody goes gold now, it's like, well, you didn't go platinum. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really, target. really interesting. It's, um, and artists i know for sure they just they're just putting out a piece of themselves you know that, that's yeah. it like taylor swift when every time she drops an art like a, a beautiful album i don't think she's thinking this has to go triple platinum she's like no this is a piece of me but if it doesn't go triple platinum if it doesn't go number one well we're gonna cut your budget um and it's i'm not saying that's a flaw i'm not saying you know, I'm not trying to poke a hole in the system. It, 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 there's reasons why this happens to knowledge that maybe I don't even understand. But I just know for myself that it would alleviate a lot of stress if it wasn't there because I would like to just focus on the art and um, build worlds for people. I'm not going to lie. I feel the exact same way about podcasting. Yeah. Where it's like... Compare. We have, yeah, like we have such an amazing, incredible conversation with someone like we are right now yeah and then our first thought process is okay as soon as we're done and we're out of the studio how is this going to do yes exactly. how many views are we going to get how many follows subscribers you name it like how do we improve all of that yeah week over week over week That's all you think and about. it takes away from the creative process it takes away from the creative process yeah. i think the the number one thing we need to remember that on this earth there's a great analogy i heard the other day um by a producer uh, he told me, think about your funeral. Um, think about, you know, the people that will be there, your friends. Some will be there, some won't. Think about your casket going down. Um, and then think about the day after. Think about people's emotions in their own homes of you being gone. And then a week later, a month later, think about how people will grieve on the loss of you being gone from planet Earth. And then normally two years, three years. And people will slowly forget. By five years they got to think about the things that are in front of them, their kids, mm-hmm. their work, their taxes, everything. Um, and then think about 10 years, you're probably, you, you're forgotten. Think about being forgotten. Mm-hmm. Think about not being at all important because you were gone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's literally everybody 10 years ago that died. Um, I'm not thinking about who made this table. I'm thinking about the table. So I feel like we need to remember while you do these podcasts, while I do my music, that 
if it doesn't make you happy, man, then it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, like <laughs> it's not about you at the end of the day. It's what you create. It's about evolving and constantly evolving and putting things out there. And I think it's a reminder that I hold very dearly to my heart because I need to remember that I don't need to hold things so closely to my chest. These songs, these folders of on my laptop of all these songs that I make that one person says, yeah, it's good. The other person's like, I hate it. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Hmm. You know, so it's like, no, it's, I, I just got to come back to me and I just got to put it out. And I think we need to remember that because I don't know, nobody's going to remember all the times, all the podcasts that you've guys, you know, done. They're going to remember that one and that one is going to be worth it. You Have know? you ever not put out a song because of feedback or negativity that you believed in? Are you sitting on one that? You would love like to out, outside negative, not your own outside negative. Could be both. Oh, both. Yeah, both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. And there was a smirk there, so <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I recently, um, I've been psychoanalyzing myself very critically and noticed that I'm easily influenced by people that I love. Like, if somebody I love says something is really good, I'll be like, oh, you love that? I'll make more of it. And then at the end of that project or that era that I'm in, I'll notice, wow, like, what do I care about? And then exactly the same for the opposite. Mm. So there's been many songs that didn't come out due to external opinions. Um, and I regret it. And that's... that's so how, do you, how do you move forward from that? By not doing it again, I think I think it's really when it comes to decision time and the hammer hits the nail, it's really comes down to okay. Like I just think about my funeral again. As dark as that is, I literally think about that and I'm like, okay, what what do I actually care about now? Yeah. And that's how I make my decisions now. What do you care about? I care about artistic integrity, to be respected by my peers, to respect myself, to make music that's authentic and to really, really innovate and create songs and worlds that people can't help but to just be in awe for. Because I really want to make music that pushes music forward um, instead of just follows and falls into this years of abyss where in 10 years it's gone again. So I'm really just trying to build this next world and do it properly and make it undeniable. What happens if you don't achieve any of this? See, I think about that. I think about that probably more than anybody has ever asked me. Um, you do a lot of psych self-analysis, so I'm, I'm confident that you think about this. Of course. Um, I'm still happy. I think I'm financially stable. I'm taking care of my mom, taking care of my family. I've already won. Yeah. So it's, it's a good like, place to be. Yeah, so it's like... I, not making it it's very subjective and it's due to perspective if you told coffee black 10 years ago <laughs> that he'd be having see this is another thing i'm subconsciously going to numbers but <laughs> if i don't know if i performed in front of this many people or made a song that even conveys that type of emotion i would be like you won that's it good job mm. corbin mm. um so not making it is that's not really an option in my eyes <laughs> see a lot of people will say that but there's still the possibility of course and it's about how course. do you how do you shift yeah I think it's just shifting um, and it's okay if you don't have an answer for it I mean I, I it, it, really, it requires yeah. a lot of reflection it on something like that it requires a lot of reflection I think I equivalent I, I, I equate it to athletes pro athletes who never reach the pinnacles of their yeah. field yeah and how they have to come to terms with something like that mm -hmm. like in your case how are you defining success is it the grammy is it the rogers arena sellout i'm defining set it changes like every month i swear but i define success as me being able to take care of my people and take care of myself, um, do what I love, of course, and 
Yeah, be an arena selling artist. I swear to God. You got to keep saying that's, it, though. You got to keep saying it, it though. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. It's just the... I know the feeling I get from like performing in front of 5,000 people. I want to see what it's like with 20. Um, but yeah, sorry. Back, back to your question. I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't make it. I, I think I'll just keep going because... I've set myself in a position where that's all I do. I just make music and I keep doing it. So even if I never get to see Rogers Arena, well, you'll catch me at the local Starbucks just performing my great music. So yeah. <laughs> I'll still be happy. Is there, you talked about, you know, having the right people, right group of people around you. Why mm -hmm. is it so important to have a good circle of influence, especially I, in the field that you're in? Oh my God, I think it's, I've literally seen artists like burn their careers in front of them mm -hmm. because of the people they have around them. Like I've seen so many different artists and they're, even the way they act towards like regular people, it's just, it's like almost like a puppet master due to the people behind them, sorry. But I think having a small circle, specifically the people that I have around me, like my manager, him and I dropped out of university together when we were 19. I slept on his couch for like six months. Like he's seen it from one to like now, like mm -hmm. literally zero to now. And um, he still knows what the end goal is, which I love him for. Um, my mom, my other manager, Buck, Natasha, my creative team, um, they've all seen it from such an early age. And I feel like now it's at the point where it's so crucial because when we have to make high decisions or at least from my eyes, like decisions that will shift my career dramatically, we don't think, we just know because they know me so well now. Um, so in every way, because I feel like being an artist, it's not just your music anymore. It's the way you act towards the public. It's how you dress. It's how you talk. It's the smallest micro movements now. And those don't just... You know, you can't just fake those things. Those come from just genuine people that you're around. Mm. Um, and I feel like I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have some real people around me. You you talked about how you were on an air mattress at one point. Yeah. And then just a few minutes ago, you mentioned being financially stable. Very yeah. different ends of that spectrum. Yeah. What's the, what's <laughs> the lesson in there? Wow, I haven't really thought about that. It's so easy to just, like, I'm in Toronto right now, man. Like, I've, I've been in the studio every single day. Like, it's so easy to not think about the steps behind, but the steps forward, right? So thank you for that question. Um, man, I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's a roller coaster, bro. <laughs> it is, bro. It's a roller coaster. Um, I know it's going to be funny because in 20 years I'm going to look at this interview and I'm going to be like, yeah, you did it, bro. <laughs> but, uh, man, I'm so happy that I slept on that air mattress. I'm so happy I slept on those couches. Um, I still am happy that I'm sleeping on couches like, because it makes it so bittersweet when you do get a win. Mm -hmm. To get a win in this industry, man, it's slim to none. Even to be financially stable in this industry is slim to none. To have a loyal fan base. So I feel like it's kind of overwhelming. Um, I don't really know how to put it into words. I just, I I know that I remember what it's like being broke. And I remember what it's like to have a bit of money. And I know that I never want to go back to that again. It's like a fight or flight thing. Yeah. And now that I have a girlfriend. And now that I have, like, you know, I want to get my own place. Like, it brings freedom and it actually alleviates stress so I am just even better at my music yeah. are there certain things that you have said to yourself and that you still continue to say now that helped you get you through to like not give up because on those days and mm. it's like you're sleeping on the couch it's like you could easily be like I, I can't do this man because it is so hard especially in the industry and certain things you would have said would have said to yourself those days that like you just keep saying to yourself cause to remind you that That's a good question. Um, the first thing that came to my mind subconsciously was a quote my dad told me. I used to write it on my wrist when I played rugby. was, uh, to whom much is given, much will be tested. Mm. Um, 
And it always reminds me that every blessing that I have, the reason that blessing came was because of what I've been through. Like God is always testing me in every way. God is not going to put things in your life that he doesn't think you can go through. For instance, the best example I can think of is my girl right now. She's an actress and there's a writer's strike, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, there was COVID. And it's like to be in that industry and not get a win for probably like two and a half years as a young woman competing with so many other women, it's like, she's truthfully one of my idols man because she's so hard working she wakes up every day she's like no it's still gonna work mm. it's no it's not like it's not not gonna work like it's still gonna work and like that drive of self-belief it's like that's how you survive this industry that's how you survive those days when you're on the couch and you're literally in darkness and there's a big demon over you and you can't think of anything else it's truthfully just remembering like who you are and why you're cut out for it, and why so many people have left. I feel like the reason why so many artists that we look to are successful is because it's not that it's luck, or it's not that it's all these things. I truthfully think that they just stuck in it. I think that kept going. they just didn't stop. They're like psychotic. <laughs> like yeah. there's been scenarios I'm sure you be, guys been you in. You kind of have a little bit. Have to be in that situation, yeah. like you said, to be sleeping on an air mattress and. And like eating chips, yeah. Like it's, like, it's you, like yeah, and it's like you can't. It's like, but you have to just stay focused, and it's like yeah, it's, to be able to even still stay focused, even though everything around you is telling you to quit, and you are yourself telling yourself, maybe I should quit because like I need, I need to bro, eat next week, like you know, like bro, literally, it's so easy to just jump onto that stable lifestyle. I'm sure you guys have seen it as men as well. You guys are both successful, so it's like seeing that and then now doing it. It's it's a weird transition. So I don't know. Try my best. How do you balance a what seems like a very genuine, authentic relationship with your girlfriend Mm. and being a music artist with the attention? (laughs) 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 Because it's gonna happen. Yeah. Right. How do you how do you balance? Because there's gonna be there's bound to be insecure there's insecurities in every relationship yeah, i feel like an artist's relationship gets amplified because there's a lot of external attention it's in the public that, eye exactly and she's an actress so she's in the public eye too right um how do i balance it mm-hmm. how do you both balance it perhaps don't talk about it i think that's the biggest thing is when you're in a relationship just keep it to yourself you know it's, you don't need to share things with your friends you don't need your friends opinions you don't, just keep it to yourself and you guys will work it out if you guys are both willing to you're talking about keeping the relationship, like the relationship. Oh, okay. out of the public eye gotcha yeah, okay. just keep it don't let everybody yourself. all up in your business yeah, you stuff. don't need to just like good or bad if you guys break up good or bad keep it to yourself mm-hmm. like there's just no need um i speak very highly of her because she's a very respectful woman mm-hmm. and she demands respect same with my mother um same with my sisters man i feel like i just kind of grew up in that household where like the woman really changed me and helped me actually well, I met your yeah, mom peace. at the yeah. lovely woman. <laughs> She's a loud one. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I met her at the red carpet, she was she was a lovely woman, and she's you can tell she commands a certain amount of respect. She does, man. Yeah. She makes just me by smile. her presence. I'm so proud. Yeah. So I'm so proud. proud of her, bro. She's I've seen her go through a lot, man. She was an RCMP officer. She battled mm-hmm. with RCMP for quite a long time. She was in a big fight with a homeless man. And he smashed on the ground, cracked her head open. And she, like, the RCMP barely helped. And, like, so, no disrespect to the RCMP. I'm just saying, like, take care of my moms. So it's like, <laughs> no, nah, she's been through a lot, man. She's She was in foster care. She never met her parents. And to see her develop, me and my sister and the household that she did, it's, I'm sure everybody can speak highly of their moms. But even to be unbiasedly as a woman to do that, especially back then being an indigenous where it's, like, racism a lot, it's, Good job. Yeah. So I don't really have any excuses. Yeah. You want to have kids? Of course. I want a son and a daughter. I want a daughter first, though. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm the same way. Why? Yeah. I just think having a daughter first, it will teach the son to respect women. You know? Yeah. I don't want the little kid to be the king of the castle. I think there needs to be a queen first. Mm-hmm. Um and I just, I have some friends that are not like that. I have some friends that are only child. But if I, you can just tell. Um, yeah, I want my household kind of like that. But also it's like a, it's a dual 
decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there a lesson that you've learned from your mom that has stuck with you to this point that you go, <coughs> this is something I want to pass on <clears throat> to my future kids? It's a really good question. It's funny because my all my sisters have kids now too. And I've never seen like, because I'm the youngest, so I've never seen somebody younger than me being raised or like authority towards them because I've always had the authority towards me from like my older siblings and family. But to answer your question, from my mom's standpoint, I would think it's letting the kids have independence and learning from their own mistakes, like not always picking them up. Um, my mom would throw me in karate to swimming to skateboarding. Um, she helped me start my own skateboard brand. She like anything I put my mind to, she would be like, go you will succeed, like, no matter what. And, like, she literally made me feel like I was a superhero as a kid. It gave me a lot of confidence. And then at the time when I finally did leave home at the round of, like, 17, when I had to travel for rugby, um, with my dad's help, of course, it's, it's, it taught me a lot of independence to, like, okay, do my own laundry, to do my own dishes, because those little things, those micro-movements, they help you so much in your evolution. Like, even your spending habits, like, my mom, instead of giving me a $20 bill, she wouldn't be like, go spend it, go, go buy something right away. She'd be like, okay, save it. You know, so like things like that, that you don't even notice, I think uh, go a long way that I hopefully that I can adopt. But at the same time, man, it's like, as much as I can speak highly about, you know, my family, every family has its dark Very points. True. And I feel like I actually, I learned more from the negative things in my family that I want to make sure my family never goes through. Likewise. Huh. Um, just like for instance my dad not being around you know my birthday I really want to be a prominent figure in my son's life and my daughter's life because I know how much it affected me at a very early age and I'm coming to terms with those things now that I didn't even notice Um, you ever tried to reach out it's funny man Um, I was actually thinking about reaching out yesterday but I stopped why I don't know I don't know what it was. I just stopped. Have he, you ever spoken? Never. He's uh, He reached out to me when I was 16. He reached out to me to an email, and he, he's an actor in L.A. Um, he was in movies with, like, Eddie Murphy. He was he's a pretty bad actor. And, uh, yeah, he reached out to me, and he just t- basically told me that my grandma and grandpa died, and he told me I have a younger brother. And then I, he sent me a picture. And I saw the picture and like that changed my changed everything because I was like, wow, like I've always wanted a little brother. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever meet your little brother? Never. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I want to reach out. To get Be- that information about the... To get that information. Also, when I am selling at Rogers Arena and I am, you know, living my dream, I don't want that little kid to go to school being like, yo, you know Bosin? He's like, yeah, my brother. But he, mm-hmm. we're not talking. Like, I don't want, yeah, yeah. I don't want him to go through that. And... Not even on a selfish aspect. That's the selfish side. On the unselfish side, it's like, I just want a little bro. That'd be Mm. so sick. Um, I think the reason why I haven't reached out to my dad is probably because I'm protecting something. I don't know what it is. I'm protecting... Corbin? Yeah, something. Mm -hmm. And when I meet him, I want to be like very present and very like shake his hand firmly and ask him questions because it's also very easy when a parent leaves it's very easy to have bias um emotions from the parent Mm -hmm. that you're with Mm -hmm. right like obviously my mom is hurt obviously she's gonna affect that emotions onto me but at that time you never know what he's going through Mm -hmm. so like i'm very curious to see what he was going through in his life and potentially learn something but luckily sorry i'm ranting but luckily my mom's taking me to jamaica actually next month to learn about that side of my heritage because I've never ever learned that so I'm very excited it's like you don't exactly know exactly how it's going to go or how exactly you want it to go yeah but you also for you don't want it to go wrong yeah right naturally right well, so it's, it's like meeting a hero you know yeah it's like, it's scary. like you, it's you you don't know you don't want it to go be terrible you don't know exactly where it's gonna go but you just want something that is not terrible and yeah the chance of it being terrible is, is also very large because like there's a risk involved. It's it's weird, man. I, I don't really. I'm not really scared of it being bad. Like if he's an asshole, it's, he's an asshole. It's his life. Mm-hmm. Life has just done that to him. It's not his fault. Um, I don't know what he's gone through in his life. So, and um, I can respect him at least on that front. 
but I do know that even if he is bad or good, it's not really going to affect me because I know who I am now. Like, mm-hmm. I built myself up. My parents have built me up, and I know who my dad is. His name's Chris. Like, mm. that's my dad. So, like, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I hope. Get the, yeah. You get that opportunity, at least message me because you see a brother, which is. Yeah. Yeah. And the brother has nothing to do with. Because the brother had nothing to do with. That's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. What's your case, brother's name? Do you know? I don't know. But he's okay. a cutie. He's a little <laughs> cutie, man. How old is he? Oh, man, he's probably like four now, but when I saw okay. a picture, he was like two. He's so cute. Um, yeah, life, man. Life is so precious and innocent, and I feel like I'm only on this earth for a short amount of time, so I really want to just... Make the not, most of it. Yeah, not do things I don't regret, you know? Mm-hmm. Tell me about this new album. The question. There was no way we weren't going to talk about <laughs> this new album. Man, well, I hope you can kind of see where I am now after this kind of conversation of Absolutely. like of like where my thoughts are and who I am um what's the name of the album there's two names there's two names <laughs> that you're deciding on are or you just two different two different worlds i'm developing both of them okay. one is called dali for salvador dali mm-hmm. and one is called conversations over dinner there's a, an exhibit in toronto Bro, i want to go so bad yeah. it looks beautiful um Yes, so I'll start. So I'll start on conversations over dinner. Essentially, that idea first came when I was in Chilliwack by myself, and I started just producing, um, playing guitar, building my own music, and I was just getting really inspired by rhythmic elements and like Prince, Justin Timberlake, and Michael Jackson. I thought that was the only thing that was making me happy because at the time I was listening to a lot of dark music, dark Kanye, dark Travis Scott, like really dark, low vibrations, and I was like not necessarily Caribbean music, but more music that you can't just help but feel the bass or the rhythm. Um, And then I I developed this one song. um, It was an intro, and I played it for my mom, and I played it in the car for her just randomly. And she was like, what did you just say there? And I was like, conversations over dinner. She's like, no, say the whole line. And she was like, I was like, conversations over dinner, making money when we cheers. Eyes are cutting checks now, valley tucking mirrors. And those girls that I'm meeting sing my songs from last year. Now it's poolside view, nothing left but up. I just start to wonder what's next for us. I'm practicing my speeches for the Grammys and the lights. My father said it first when he looked me in the eyes. Just do yourself a favor and just enjoy the ride. And she was like, oh, my God. Bars, bars. And then I was like, okay, I think I can run with this. So then from there I went to L.A. And it was just luck, man. I was in a session... Um, and my buddy hit me, Adriano, he lives in Toronto, um, very successful producer, and he's like, yo, I got these, like, Swedish guys, man, they came all the way from Sweden, you know, they they love Max Martin, like, they, they're crazy, you should work with us, and I was like, okay, and I just pulled up, and the first day, we made a song called Elixir, that's not out yet, but uh, it's, this song changed everything in, like, my mind of, like, how I make music. Mm. Um, I'll play it after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, from there, I, we just made a joke. I was like, yo, can I come to Sweden? Just as like a little joke. And they're like, yeah, do it. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, come this month. I was like, okay. Came out there for a month and a half. It was like snowing, bro. Was, sun was setting at 3 p.m. in the studio every day, just grinding, 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 grinding. And we made, essentially, the project. And uh, it really is a roller coaster of emotions. And I think it's kind of built on what I was talking on this podcast of just psychoanalysis like uh, sorry what's the word again and, and so analyzing analyzing, yeah. analyzing myself and also playing with a new love that I found with my girlfriend cause right before I went there um, I went to Mexico with Jasmine that's her name and, uh, <laughs> hi Jasmine hello Jasmine <laughs> and uh, when I went there I was fascinated with this pendant called Santa Morte which is one of my latest singles and um yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'm not going to go into that story, but there's so much inspiration. So, yeah, that was fun. And then for Dolly, Dolly was something I developed when I was on that uh, air mattress in L.A. when I was developing Gonzo, and the Kanye West documentary dropped. Genius. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it on that air mattress, just blowing your drum, just watching, just getting fired up, listening to, like, power. And... um Dolly really comes from a place of me letting like my childlike mentality just run free like no limitations no thinking about oh is this gonna work on playlists is this no 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 just fully let the artistic integrity take me and making the most bizarre hypnotizing bohemian rap city music that the world has ever seen it's almost like levels but on steroids it's Mm. just 
blast off. So I've been developing that as well. And it's very loud and fierce. <laughs> so like both those albums going to come out at the same time? Or like the next two albums? Is like the next two albums you're working on? or Next two albums I'm working, they're okay. for sure coming out no matter what. I'm just, I don't know what one is first. I think it seems to be Conversations of a Dinner first. Mm-hmm. Um, because the world of Dali, it's like you're going to know before the music even drops that you're entering. Like yeah, I yeah. want, like from the visuals to the cinematography to the color design to my outfits to my captions on Instagram. Like I want it to the only the festivals I'm playing. Like it's, you have to live and breathe Dali. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I want it to be like my my rodeo. I want it to be like my eases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited about that one. It's, it's going to be insane. That's going to be dope. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I, we could do this for another hour. Yeah, brother. <laughs> you guys are asking incredible questions. Bosnan, thank you so much. Corbin, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much, <laughs> man. Appreciate y'all for real. I appreciate you coming through. And thank you, thank you for, for trusting us with sharing yeah. some of this insight. And, first and podcast. Stories. Let's go. First, first, of first of many. First of many. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. No, no. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your uh, your authenticity. Mm. And um, thank you for just being yourself. Appreciate that. Because yeah. I think that's appreciate so that, important. Man especially for an artist, yeah. especially for the the communities that you're representing mm. and the areas that you come from, you're carrying that with you. And mm. I think you carry it proudly. Thank you. And that comes across. And I hope, I wish you nothing but success. <laughs> Thank I you can't so wait much. to watch you sell out yeah, the Rogers brother, Arena. Let's get it. Um, and then the Rogers me. Center. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rogers Center. And we'll do this again we'll the this day again. of. Exactly. Oh, my God. That'd be crazy. There Actually, we'll do it right in the middle of Rogers Arena. Yeah, that'd there be crazy. <laughs> I'm going to shake on that. Shake on that. Let's do it. For real, let's do, we'll it. do it. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Appreciate it. Bosom, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, everybody, for listening.